You're listening to 101.9 FM KPCRLP Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here. Welcome to episode 170 of Drinks with Tony with my guest Robert McKee. His new book is called Character. And Charlie Kaufman totally fooled me from the film adaptation. As I was fact checking, well, I, as I was making sure I sounded smart, <laughs> I stumbled upon the fact that Robert McKee does not play himself in the film adaptation. It's an actor, Brian Cox. I thought it was Robert McKee this whole time. Anyway, adaptation, fantastic film. I need to rewatch it. Uh, Robert McKee's an interesting fella, and I'm glad I got the chance to interview him. I read Story around 2001, back when I thought it would be easy to write a screenplay, get big-time famous, own houses in Malibu, Hollywood Hills, a chateau in France. Why not? And it's funny. They, they, they say, dream big. And my old agent used to tell me I was critically acclaimed, which meant my book wasn't selling. <laughs> so, um, And the screenplay that I wrote that became a film only took 17 years to get released after I read Robert McKee's story. 17 years of sweat, heartbreak, antidepressants. You should try it too. It ain't no picnic. Hi, I'm Robert McKee, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Robert McKee. His new book is called Character, The Art of Role and Cast Design for Page, Stage, and Screen. Robert, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I am good. I love talking storytelling, and you're the storytelling king. Yeah, me too. Yeah, what, uh, uh, when, did you, when did you start, like, when did you realize how much story meant to you to the point where you're just like, I'm in this, I'm, I'm a storyteller? Oh, you, you know, it, it, I, I think, I mean, I've, I've been asked this before and, I, and I've traced it back to when I was like eight years old. Oh, yeah. And um, uh, my father had a, an ingenious uh, form of punishment which um, uh, was uh, he had this he bought this magnificent volume of Aesop's fables with beautiful, uh, lush illustrations. And so if I did something wrong, uh, the punishment was uh, I had to uh, pick out one of the fables and copy it in very good penmanship, <clears throat> both the, the story and the moral. And then I had to write my own interpretation of the moral. And then I had to come to him and explain to him the story and the moral and my version uh, and um, I discovered that I was good at it. And I could get my, my father's eyes would light up as his, you know, his son was actually explaining rather sophisticated moral ideas uh, to him uh, coherently. And, you know, when you can impress your, your parents as a kid, when they, when they go, wow, you know, when, I mean, that's really a big moment. 
And so, um, and so uh, since I was eight years old, I've been able to think about story, interpret story, uh, analyze it, and, uh, uh, and express that to other people. And and so, just, oh, sorry, go ahead. My whole life, pardon? I, I interrupted you as you were talking, I'm sorry. No, 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 I, I said, I've been doing it all my life, so as long as I can remember. Can we just give your dad the father of the century award for discipline? <laughs> because if everyone did that, I think we would have a better world because when we tell stories and when, we, and when we're thinking in storytelling like that, we develop empathy, I believe. Yes. Yes. And insight. You yeah. come to understand things, you know. I mean, the, the fox and the grapes story, you know, the, 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 from which the term uh, sour grapes comes, you know, mm -hmm. and that the fox is envious and, uh, and, and greedy and he wants the grapes and he can't get it. And so he has to rationalize, uh, well, they're probably your sour anyway. I mean, that, you know, that, that, pro, that mechanism of rationalization and blaming it on something else, human beings do this constantly, right? Yeah. So when you're eight years old and you see uh, this, and you read this fable about how somebody, in order to uh, you know, get out of a situation with, without too much uh, discomfort, blames it on something else, uh, and you realize this is what people do. And and so when you're a kid and you and you see that in 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 this fable, you naturally see it in other people, but you also see it in yourself. And you hear yourself doing the sour grapes. Well, he probably wasn't going to be a good friend anyway, you know, whatever. <laughs> and uh, he probably can't play baseball anyway. I mean, whatever you need. Uh, and so yeah. Yeah, that that is a um, that is a and, and the the funny thing is um, was about that whole that whole year or two that that went on. Um, he thought in his mind it was a, a, a punishment, <laughs> but in my mind it was the I could impress my father and um, get his respect, and so. You almost went around doing naughty things just to, <laughs> just to have the opportunity to show off. You're like seven years old and you're like, you know what? I need to, I need to just smoke another cigarette so I can get punished. You're like, come yeah. on, dad. Come on, dad. I'm halfway done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. The, um, well, but it's, it's, I mean, what I, uh, storytelling for me is essentially my religion. Um, it's when I it's just it means everything to me because um, I came to storytelling very late reading very late in life and um, and I was like oh wow I can have convert these I'm getting conversations from people who understand my emotions you know when I'm reading yeah. a novel it's just like they're speaking to me in a way that I wasn't spoken to before and and then I and then I was just like there's there's a different way to have a conversation and dive in and a lot of it's reading and also writing and you know yeah, yeah. well there's a famous critic um, <clears throat> uh, uh, whose name was Kenneth Burke and he put it very simply he said stories are equipment for living 
And they, you know, that's, he's, you know, what that five words is exactly right. That if, if, if you didn't have story in your life and all you had was life, day-to-day life, whatever, you would be in such confusion. <clears throat> you would be so angry, so troubled, so lost because uh, you couldn't figure out why in the world do I do these things? Why do other people do these? Things? I mean, you, you, you know, you would <clears throat> be lost. And so we start telling little children's stories as parents to give them equipment. My father gave me Aesop's fables as equipment to live. And the, and the, as you get older and you read more and more sophisticated work and you go to uh, the movies, of course, and you go to the theater, um, you're, 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 you get wrapped, embraced in, um, in the story form and it makes sense out of life. It doesn't cure the problems necessarily, <laughs> but at least it makes some sense out of life so that, <clears throat> that you can, you don't feel lost. And, and you, uh, you, don't, you don't feel, you feel that if something happens, I have equipment, I've been prepared. It's not the worst thing that could happen. You know, it's not Macbeth. <laughs> and so uh, 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 you're ready. And, um, and so stories, yeah, they make life possible. Yeah, it's interesting. I was, you just reminded me of something. I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, how, like, especially in screenwriting, how, how compressed the conflict is. The conflict's just, I mean, it's, it's almost hard for me to write screenplays because I come from the novel and so conflict's just like, bada boom, bada boom, bada boom, because we got to pack it all in. Yeah, when, when on the on the screen, um, uh, unless we're Scandinavian uh, experimental filmmakers, and I love yeah. those too. So don't get me wrong, but um, yeah. but it's interesting that we also kind of need to see the heightened conflict when we don't have that type of conflict in our lives. There's some. Well, I wonder what it is about. Um, I, this I don't know if, there, if there's an answer to this question or not. But what is it about us needing higher conflict uh, than us in order to be engaged. The acid just kicked in. I'm sorry. That was, I'm, well, that question the, uh, blew my mind too. You know, in, in, in screenwriting, um, <clears throat> what's the, the difficult, difficulty in screenwriting is, is that everything that, uh, it, that's in a novel that is, exp- that, you know, a novelist can invade the thoughts of a character. in first or third person. Um, And so there's a great inner drama going on in a novel. But if you photograph that, that's somebody in thinking, somebody sitting there in thought, right? And so in a screenplay, you have to imply everything that you have to make implicit, everything that in a novel can be explicit. And so <clears throat> that's why screenwriting is so difficult. It's not that it, it has to be constant conflict. It's that uh, the sources of that conflict, the motivations, the thoughts behind it, <clears throat> the actions and reactions are interior in the characters, but you can't photograph their thoughts. A novel literally on the page photographs their thoughts. <clears throat> And, and 
And so they're, they're two very different media and they, 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 they thrive at different levels of conflict. Uh, <clears throat> but in, in many ways, the novel being able to have access to characters' thoughts directly is um, a bit easier <clears throat> than uh, in screenwriting, although novelists will never admit that. <laughs> uh, uh, but you know, and, and the and the theater is in between. Yeah, and the the theater you do have access to thoughts by characters, you know, coming directly to the audience and in, in in direct address and soliloquy and telling you what they're thinking. <clears throat> but <clears throat> excuse me, that's them telling you what they're thinking. In a third-person novel, the narrator knows what they're really thinking. Yeah, subconsciously, and so even when a character in the theater comes down and says, uh, "You know, <clears throat> oh, what a rogue and peasant slave am I?" the audience is thinking, "Well, that's just a little vanity, isn't it, Hamlet?" Right, <laughs> and so they know Hamlet better than Hamlet. So, uh, <clears throat> uh, and so you know, each one of the great storytelling uh, uh, media has strengths. And, and 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 difficulties, uh, and, and none of them are easy. None of them are easy. Storytelling is always the the job is to make sense out of life, and, and in a compelling way. And um, and like in my in my new book, <clears throat> to create characters that we can empathize with, or certainly perceive what's going on inside of. And, and, and it's rewarding because what's going on inside of these characters is, is a really, really of interest. Um, uh, to create characters and um, tell a story out of their lives is the hardest work, I believe, uh, that a human being can take up. <clears throat> and, and so, uh, uh, people who have the, the, the talent and the skill to create life from nothing but their imaginations and their, and their experiences and, um, and illuminate life for us, they, they keep us civilized. It's, it's such a, <clears throat> yeah, it's such a trip. And it's, I like, I like how you talk about character and plot because, you know, it's like, What's more important? But they both need each other so bad. You know? Yeah, well, the, the, the book that made, uh, you know, that, that I'm known for originally was called Story. And that's all about the event design uh, of, of a work. But that's only half of it. <clears throat> I mean, the other half is who's doing it, is the characters. And so this new book, fills in the half that I mean I didn't I'm I discuss character in story but nothing like the depth and the length I go to in the in the book uh because they're just two sides of the same coin I mean the the events of a story what happens is created out of the choices that the characters make under pressure to take action and the reactions that they get <clears throat> The, the characters are the human beings 
who would make those choices and take those actions. And so what happens is the characters and who the characters are is what they choose to do. And that's what happens. And so it, you, it's, it's in the creative process of writing, it's really artificial to try to separate them. Because you know, what characters do is the story. The story is who these people are that would do things like that. And so, and so it, 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 it took me a while um, to, to feel that I, had an, I, that I had a sufficient knowledge. I, 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 I won't write any book <clears throat> without the feeling that, I, that every question I've ever been asked by student writers, um, I, have, I can answer. And every question about character that I've ever been asked uh, for the last 40 years, um, you know, I had to find answers. And once I got to a point where I think I'd heard every possible question about character and very importantly, um, the design of a cast of characters. Uh, and uh, when I got to a saturation point where I thought, okay, um, every, every question you could ask is, being asked, I found an answer, and I'm I'm ready to write the book, uh, and so uh, uh, and so now it's in the world, and um, uh, it's been getting some very very you know, gratifying reactions uh, from people, and uh, it's um, it's I think this is just my opinion. It's the best thing I've ever written. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the um oh you made me think of you made me think of something and then but you didn't make the thought go away. The thought went away on its own because you know I drank too much in my 20s and 30s. I don't know. Um what we, we were just talking about. But the what I love is the student, the teacher-student relationship and how you were asked so many questions that, that, you, that you had to um, maybe putting words in your mouth. So tell me that I, I so, but that you, you were asked so many questions about character that it, you kind of had to rethink some things in order to explain it. Thus, the student and the teacher are kind of a symbiotic uh, oh, thing. Yeah, that's yes, absolutely. No, I... I owe um, uh, my students everything because um, trying to make sense in a useful way, you know, not just academic abstract sense, but concrete sense uh, is, um, uh, and seeing the light come on inside of students uh, is, is how you learn I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a dirty secret, but it's the truth. You learn by teaching it. You, you think that, no, you first you learn everything and then you teach it. Actually, that's not true. Actually, you learn enough of it to get started. Uh, you, know, you learn more than the students know to get started. Uh, but that's just more than they know. And, and uh, of course, you have to know more than they know because they don't know anything. So... Um, uh, and then the questions come, and and also 
in, in the in the process of lecturing, you hear yourself saying things that you didn't know where they come from. Uh, and so afterwards you think back, oh, you know, uh, you know, did I actually, and what is that? And, and, and so the, the process of making sense for other people in a way makes sense for yourself as well. And so you're teaching yourself at the same time you're teaching others. And often um, when I'm teaching, I hear myself say things that I had never consciously thought before. And so somehow it came up out of the subconscious and it seemed right for the moment. And uh, then you have to, to check it and say, you know, is that valid? I mean, you, you told, you just told 200 people X and is it true? I mean, they believed it. You know, when, when I, when, <laughs> when I first started teaching, I, the first experience I had was I was in grad school in, uh, in English lit and it was summer school. And uh, we, were, we were studying uh, uh, theater, uh, plays and short stories. And um, the professor said to us, he said, okay, it's summer and I'm not gonna work hard in the summer, right? So what each of you is going to have to give a lecture on a work, short story or a play <clears throat> for everybody else. And, and so, um, and so I, um, I got on the beach with uh, a, play, uh, a play called Miss Julie and uh, August Strindberg and I studied it and I took notes and whatever. And so I get up one, one afternoon to, and I start giving this lecture on Miss Julie and I had um, things to put on the board. Oh no, please internet, come back internet. This is the time when it all goes down. Come on, internet, come back up. Sorry, what was that? Are we, are we back? Okay. I my internet went down for a second, so I had to ah, sing. Ah. I hope I hope that was okay, and I hope that wasn't. Yeah, yeah no, fine. So anyway, right. I turned I turned around. <laughs> I turned around, and all the other grad students had their heads down. They're all taking notes, and suddenly I had this rush, and I thought, my God, they're believing this. They're taking notes. They're, you know, and it was it was a rush. I had I never felt anything like that before that moment. The power of teaching and people's minds opening and their heads going down and they're scribbling notes, and I, it changed my life. I mean, it really did. Wow. Uh, and so that happens all the time when you're teaching, something comes up out of the subconscious that you didn't know you knew. And, and then you check it to see if that's really true or false after, after the, you know, we give thought to it after the lecture. And if, and if you think, oh, that was bullshit. Uh, but sometimes you go, yeah, actually, and that's right. And, um, and so your knowledge grows uh, while you're teaching. And uh, so the teaching experience is, is both 
in yourself and between yourself and your students uh, and you and you acquire uh, knowledge uh, uh, in that way. And you also, of course, you're doing research and you're studying uh, the, 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 the knowledge of other people. And uh, so um, between the two of them, you get to, you know, you get to understand something uh, well enough to put it into a book. <laughs> it, it, I find it, I find it keeps me in check because I'll be, I'll get on my students and be like, <clears throat> you need to write, you know, especially the beginning students for, for the rest of the quarter, you're writing 20 minutes a day. I don't care if you think you're blocked, you're going to write unblocked because blank unblocked because blank for 20 minutes. And I hammer it them to them and I hammer it to them. And then, uh, and then some days go by and I don't write. And I'm like, Oh crap. I'm not practicing what I preached. <laughs> I, uh... It keeps me in check. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, that's at the end of the day, that's the final test, isn't it? When you when you're putting sentences together on on the page and putting sentences into paragraphs and putting paragraphs into chapters, when you have it to make a logical progression, and you have to put it into language that you're not there to tell it to them. I mean, in the classroom, you can say things and they can ask questions and you can clarify it. But when you write a book, it's got to be self-clarifying. Uh, and, um, and so, um, and so the, the, the final test is the, is the book itself. Do I really know what I'm talking about well enough to be able to explain it to other people uh, so that they can follow without confusion? And, and, uh, and that, that's scary writing a book is a, is a scary thing because <clears throat> you, you know you're often sitting there going i don't where does this bullshit come from I mean, <laughs> who's, who's gonna believe it? <laughs> uh, uh, and i'm a slow writer i i i write six or eight hours a day every day, seven days a week. I never take a day off. And, um, uh, and, and if at the end of the day, I've got 500 keepable words, that's a triumph. Most days I'll write, you know, I, there's a little word counter you know, at the bottom left-hand corner of the screen there. And most days, you know, I'll write something between 1,000, 2,000 words. And uh, the next day, um, often the, the, they just the, the whole thing is thrown out. Yeah, and and, and you know, it, but accumulates over time. If you if you um, if you can do um, you know uh, hundred fit if you get a hundred good words a day, uh, in you know in ten days that's a thousand words, and in a hundred days that's <clears throat> ten thousand words, and in a year. That's 350,000, uh, 30, you know, 35,000 words. And um, uh, that's a 200 page book. So um, just 100 keepable words a day progressively accumulates into a book. Uh, so, and I, and I think it's important even when we have those days where we write 
you know, well, we got the 2000 words that are just like, we got to dump them all. I feel like that's part of the writing process. Cause if we didn't write those words, we wouldn't get to what we needed to get to. No, no, you know, if you're honest with yourself, you know, perfectly well that, that at best, at best, 10% of what you write is, is worth anything. And 90% of it is just, you know, garbage and repetitious and, uh, you know, shallow. So, but, but 10%, if you, if you've got, if you know your subject and you've got talent, that 10% is keepable and 10% is a serious number. And so, um, and so that, you know, that's how books get written. Uh, the, this book that we're talking about today is um, uh, uh, character and, and cast design. And <clears throat> the, uh, the, the root of that um, is, um, you know, is, um, to begins with is is um, insight into yourself. All characters are somehow uh, uh, extensions of the writer. No matter what, no matter good, bad, <clears throat> trivial, or complex, you know that that self knowledge is the root of all character writing. And um, and self knowledge uh, cannot be taught. And people uh, who want to write, they're either paying attention to what they do, what they think, what they feel day in, day out. I mean, they're, they're either self-aware and they're, they're making a study of themselves uh, or they're not. And if, uh, I mean, observation of other people uh, reading great works and going to good movies and whatnot and seeing characters in, in performance on page or stage or screen, that's all very, very useful. But ultimately, I think it was Anton Chekhov who said, uh, he said, everything I know about human nature, I learned from me. And so you, you are the only person you ever know in life. You're the only person whose thoughts you can actually hear. And everybody else is at a distance, and um, and you can only you can only know them by implication. And uh, and more often than not, you're wrong about what's really going on inside of them. And, and, and so you're the only human being you ever get to know, really, deeply, consciously, subconsciously. And so you you create all your characters out of yourself. Therefore, your, your, your characters can only be as, as interesting and complex as you are yourself. And, and, uh, and so I put a lot of emphasis in my book on character in the, the big chapter on preparing yourself as a writer to create characters begins with observation, with reading and experiencing fictional characters, uh, but then penetrating the mysteries of your own humanity and coming to terms <clears throat> to under, to, for you to be able to understand what would a human being do. You are the only human being you will ever really know in depth. And so the answer to the question is you is is the hypothetical if i were this character under these circumstances 
what would I do? Not what would the character do, but if I were the character playing the role of the character you're creating, you make it personal for yourself, what would I do as that character? Um, and so there's an intimate connection between yourself and the, and the character. Or another way of, of, of thinking about all this, Tony, is that, that writers are actors. The, 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 a character's first actor is the writer. And, and, and whether you've ever acted or not, if you're going to write, tell, create stories, you know, for stage or screen or page, um, you have to be able to get in character and think that actor's thought, if I were this character in these circumstances, what would I do? And you have to act the role uh, and use yourself as material to create that character as you act the role. Uh, and so it's, as a critical step to creating characters and stories, you have to start with yourself. <clears throat> That's Who am scary. I? Yeah, it is scary. Because <laughs> a lot of writers th think that they can disappear, they can avoid this whole thing by creating characters who are very different, never be anything like themselves, and science fiction-y or fantasy or you know, uh, characters as animals or characters as little children or, you know, something so foreign, so different from yourself that you can't lay claim to say that's really an aspect of me yeah. uh, and that they can escape into these characters. And that's just nonsense because <clears throat> sooner or later, you got to ask yourself, you know, under these circumstances, what would she do? And you're not going to know what she would do unless you get into her head and, and understand the, the process of her humanity and, and your ability to understand her humanity is absolutely tied to your understanding of your own humanity. And so there's no escaping it. I don't care how fantasy the, the, this, yeah. the genre. <clears throat> and, and, uh, uh, and uh, just to make things harder, Everybody who reads what you've written knows that. Yeah. Everybody who reads your writing knows that these characters that you created are all aspects of you. And therefore, they make really sometimes harsh judgments about you. Not your characters, not your story, but you. And, uh, and if, if, if they find your story wanting, it's because they think nasty, unpleasantries about you who wrote this damn thing and, then, and wasted their time. And so, uh, and so that's why I just, that's why writing is so scary. It's because you're exposed. But I love it because I love the stakes of that. The high stakes of the, of, you know, a reader just comes in maybe thinking they're going to be entertained and they could say one cross thing back to us and it kills us. Yeah. <laughs> but when you were talking about that, it, this is what I used to do when I had, um, when I was beginning writing. Back after I read Story, your, your, your book, uh, when I was in my late 20s and it helped me along my journey on many levels. And one, yeah. of, the, um, one of the things I did was 
I was going to get back at all the people that were mean to me in my life, all right. the bullies, all the, <laughs> all the church elders, these people, I'm going to write about them. And then by the time it gets on the screen, they're going to go see the movie and they'll feel bad about themselves because they'll all know it was them. And then <laughs> as, I'm, as I was working on it, um, uh, you know, and you're crafting, you realize it's you. You realize yeah. every single thing is you. And that's just, and it's just like, oh crap. And then not only that, now I got empathy for all these people who are bullies and who are terrible to me. It's like, now I'm empathetic to their plight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you write a bully and you base it on some experience you had, if you're a good writer, you got to get inside the bully's head and say to yourself, if I were a bully under these circumstances, what? And you were, therefore, you have to understand it's a human being. Understand them as a human being. I mean, they're, they're, their thoughts are, are perverse or twisted. Uh, their emotional mechanisms are <clears throat> faulty, but they. Uh, Socrates, who said, no human being ever does anything except they believe it to be the good thing to do. <clears throat> All human beings act toward the positive uh, and uh, they rationalize, they do whatever is necessary to do it, but, but the, all of life isn't just human beings, but all living things, uh, all of nature is aimed toward the positive, toward doing something that will enhance your life, prolong your life, right? <clears throat> and so this is the right, necessary thing to do for the, the my self-interest. Yeah. And so when a bully acts from the bully's point of view, this is the right thing to do. And they have reasons for that. And, and once you get into their head and you figure out their motivation, their reasons for it, you realize, okay, he's deluded, but still, still, right? It's yeah. his, that's his experience. Life taught him this. Yeah. And, and, and you have to feel a certain empathy for it once you realize that, you know, this, this bastard's a human being after all. So, yeah. So writing, writing as an act of revenge <laughs> doesn't really get you very far. You can't do it. Writer yeah. You realize that all those awful people actually are human beings and just like you. And, uh, and so the, at the end of the day, what you're after is a, create characters and tell their story to um, express beautifully the truth. And if you're a good writer, an honest writer, you, you are devoted to um, the truth. Uh, but a lot of, you know, bad writing is because it's not devoted to the truth. It's devoted to happy endings or, some kind of manipulation of things. But the best of writing, of course, you come, you, you close the book, you come out of the film or, or, or today, today more than ever, I must say, uh, the best writing in, in America and the world is a television series. Yeah. And, and you come away from a, a series, um, uh, recently I, I, I watched the, uh, the series, uh, called made oh you know yeah I, 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 I still need to watch it yeah well i highly recommend yeah 
and it's it's autobiographical. It's based on a memoir, but it but uh, the memoirist didn't write the screenplay. In fact, what's really interesting is that it's about a, a, a young woman who ends up a single mother with an alcoholic, abusive ex-husband uh, who works cleaning houses as a maid and trying to get herself to college. And um, the screenplay is written by uh, a guy. And, uh, and he, thanks to her memoir, of course, is really gets to the truth of what it is to be a single mom in this world, the, the, the labyrinth of government help and um, family, <laughs> families who are not helpful um, and, and drugs and all the rest of it. Um, and so I watched The Maiden and I thought I was so grateful because it's a world I would never know. And, uh, and I thought, this is the truth. This is a really honest expression of what life must be like for a 22-year-old mom with a three-year-old kid who's made a mistake with a getting married, getting pregnant, and, um, and has the ambition to, to get to college. And it's excellent. And so, um, um, and it's, you know, it's, it's not, the ending ultimately is positive, but it's, it's not without paying a huge price along the way. Um, and so um, the, the best writing I've seen in, in the last, you know, 10 or 20 years has been long form television series <clears throat> going all the way back to Sopranos and Breaking Bad and uh, and the Ozark and uh, all these terrific series. Um, and uh, uh, that takes, those long form series take character to a whole new level of complexity that no novelist or, or playwright or screenwriter ever had to deal with. Because what keeps people watching a series week after week or even year after year is two things, a revelation that you're discovering aspects, dimensions, or qualities of, a, of the characters in the cast that you never saw before, even though you've been watching it for five years, they're still revealing themselves and change that they are all, they are for better or worse, growing or changing or diminishing or whatever it is, but they are changing in, uh, over, over the series and how to create a character that is so complex that you can be revealing this character 20, 30, 40, 50 hours into the story and, and progressively changing them one way or another for 40, 50 hours of uh, what kind of characters and what kind of cast do you have to create in order to be able to sustain interest for hours and hours on end? Uh, because as soon as the characters stop revealing themselves, we dump the series. As soon as we feel these characters will never change, you know, 
Well, like, like, you know, we just walk out and then we right. do something else, right? And so the demands of character creation for long form television series is enormous. And I, it's breathtaking to when you see it done as beautifully as it's as so often done. I mean, there's a lot of bad, mediocre TV series, God knows. Yeah. But the best of them, the best of them are really stupendous pieces of creativity. And I love the breakdowns you do of uh, Breaking Bad in the book. And then also, you know, something that um, something that kind of blows my mind with Breaking Bad is the spinoff series of Better Call Saul and just how beautiful they dive into Saul Goodman. Who would have known that Saul Goodman actually has, I don't know how many seasons it is, five or six. Let, yeah. Let's go Let's go five or six seasons with, the, with this lawyer guy. And, and I mean, I, I like Better Call Saul better than I like Breaking Bad. I agree with you. I think Better Call Saul, is, as great as Breaking Bad was, Better Call Saul is, is, more, is, is, is more powerful, more beautiful, more complex. Um, and that, you know, that um, Saul as a character is simply uh, more fascinating in his dimensions than Walter was. And Walter, as I analyze him in my book, is a 16-dimensional character. <clears throat> not two-dimensional, not three-dimensional, 16-dimensional. And, uh, and then Saul Goodman comes along, Jimmy McGill, and he's even more fascinating. Um, my, my poor wife won't watch Better Call Saul. Because your what? My wife won't watch oh. Better Call Saul. Why is that? Because he's so self-destructive, and she gets really upset. Not with violence. Not none of that. What really upsets my wife and makes makes something unwatchable is to get empathetically involved with a character who is self-destructive. And I can, I absolutely understand that, that, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm with her with that. I mean, I understand and, and I don't, you know, I, I think I, you know, um, it, that is the, like Nietzsche would say, that's staring into the abyss. Yeah. And the abyss then stares back at you, you know, and it's very tempting just to go over the cliff into the abyss of self-destructiveness. Uh, and that what, what's really um, uh, cheering to me is that uh, Better Call Saul appeals to millions of Americans and people around the world, apparently, such that there are five seasons. Yeah. And so self-destructive as uh, Jimmy McGill is, that uh, uh, nonetheless, he fasc fascinates people uh, and, uh, and they want to know what's going to happen to him. And of course, they, one, of the, one of the advantages of Better Call Saul is that they know what's going to happen to him. He's going to become Saul Goodman, Walter White's lawyer. Yeah. Okay. So you watch Better Call Saul with a sense of dramatic irony because you know that ultimately, you know, 
he was he was okay. I mean, so ultimately he made it into, into Walter's life. And so we're, what we're watching is how and why the life that we ultimately know he had uh, uh, was lived. Uh, so we're, there's a saving grace. We're going, well, he's not going to be completely destroyed because he's got to appear in, in, in Breaking Bad. So we're saved from that. Uh, but he's a great character. And so is she. She's a terrific character in that, in that series. And his brother, uh, yeah, fascinating. Um, Michael McKeon. Uh, Bob Odenkirk comes from sketch comedy doing Mr. Show. And, you know, this yeah. is a comedian. Uh, Michael McKeon was doing improv and he was in Spinal Tap. And they yeah. get these they get these uh, comedic actors, but the comedians, they kind of know how to embrace the real dark. Uh, there's something about a good comedic actor who could really embrace the tragedy. Uh, yeah, it always amazes people when comics, you know, like I remember uh, Milton Berle did a dramatic role and everybody was stunned and, uh, 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 you know, um, because they they don't understand that the root of comedy is anger. Yeah. And so they don't understand that this this comedian who's up there having a lot of fun, actually, that's a performance of a of of an angry you know you see it, it, it you see it coming out you know now in certain stand-up comics um, uh, <laughs> at times get in trouble uh, because their private lives get revealed and or they reveal themselves uh, to um, in the, in their performances uh, and and uh, but but comedy the comedic mind is an idealistic mind that wants the world to be if not perfect at least a hell of a lot better than it is and when they look around and see what a sorry wanting place the world really is it pisses them off but they're smart enough to know that if they you know if i if i harangue the world about what a rotten place it is nobody will listen to me but if I can get them to laugh, yeah. I, if I can destroy pomposity, destroy absurdity, destroy ignorance, destroy that with with ridicule, then maybe things will change or at least balance. Uh, and so, um, and so, uh, uh, they use their comedy uh, as a weapon to destroy the things they hate. And so when you ask them to do drama, it's a piece of cake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you giving me five years off? <laughs> I don't even have to do jokes. And uh, and they can just, you know, use all that natural anger uh, anyway. So, yeah. Uh, but And Bob Odenkirk is a superb actor. Wonderful actor. Yeah. You know, I went back and watched the Mr. Show, uh, some of the Mr. Show episodes and realized he taps into the tragedy so much of every single comedic scene he does where we're laughing our asses off. But if yeah. you really look at Odenkirk when he's doing that sketch stuff, there's no wink and a nod. It, no. It's straight on. And it's just like, of course he's a better call Saul. Of course he's going to, this series is going to be great because he's done it all along. You know, it's, 
He's grown his craft, just like writers grow their craft. It blows my mind that you're scared that you, well, you talked about this earlier, that it's not you're scared, but it's scary for you to put a book out like character um, and to put your work out into the world because I find you very, um, I find you the authority in this. So it's interesting to, to but it makes sense. But at the same time, it's... Uh, yeah, it's, well, it's, we it's, all, you know, we, yeah, okay. But we all know it's, it, all of life, not just your professional life, but your personal life, all of it is a tap dance. And, and, and you can trip over yourself at any moment. <clears throat> I mean, you know, one of, one of the most common nightmares that, that anyone in the arts has, whether, you know, whether you're a writer or an actor or you know, designer, whatever, any musician, Anyone in the arts has always played with a nightmare. The basis of it is <laughs> sooner or later, they're going to figure out that I'm a phony. <laughs> yes. Right? <clears throat> my, my favorite nightmare is I'm standing, I'm an actor and I'm standing in the wings. <clears throat> There's a thousand people in the auditorium and uh, the stage manager points to me and says, you're on. The curtain goes up and the thought runs through my head. You arrogant, stupid ass. You didn't bother to memorize your line. <laughs> and so the, the thought of being caught out there in public, writing, acting, doing anything creative, uh, when deep in your heart, you know, you're not that good. And <laughs> it's a performance. And, and then so the thought, the thought that you're going to get caught out, that sooner or later they're going to see through you, right? Yeah. The people, the people who really know are going to <laughs> see through you, you know. And but this is true of anybody, anybody who sticks their neck out in public, anybody who teaches, anybody, any, any, uh, anybody who performs, you know, uh, uh, priests give sermons i mean any anybody who sits stands up in public and says look at me everybody has that nightmare that they're going to be found out <clears throat> and uh uh but any, anybody who creates anything even if you don't do it in public even if you if you're a painter or you're a, you know you uh, uh, uh you 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 make things out of you know you 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 carve wood I mean, sooner or later, you have to put your work in the world and sell it. And people are going to look at your wood carving and go, what a piece of shit. <laughs> and then you're going to get caught because, you you know, so, uh, so but that's, you know, that's that's normal. I mean, we had, you know, it's, it's kind of vain even to talk about it because it's, you know, yeah. a lot of people, you know, OK, it's hard to be a writer, but I sell insurance. And if, you know, if I, if I could write like you, you know, I wouldn't be whining about it. And so, um, and so, I, you know. But, but, but they don't have that empty feeling in their gut that their whole soul is going to be sapped out of their body. They're not gonna, they don't have the empty feeling that they're, that they're phony because the insurance is a product is what it is. But they do have the empty feeling that um, uh, I can't sell. 
Yeah. <clears throat> if people don't believe me that I, you know, because even, you know, insurance salesmen have to knock on a door or have somebody come into the office, they have to, whatever. I mean, everybody yeah. has that. Everybody has the insecurity of feeling <clears throat> that I'm, I am certain that the, the, the parents, of course, must have that nightmare, right? Yeah. I've got children and I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm going to ruin these poor kids' lives. <clears throat> I, you know, that they're, yeah. I'm going to fail my children. I mean, that's, that's the parents' nightmare. And so insecurities like that plagues, I guess, everybody. But for the artist, it's a particular, since you're out there in public and everything is in public, it gets magnified. And I, and, and I think it brings writers together too. When I, when I hear a writer, um, I, I had Robert Crace on the show. That guy's been on the best subtle list 22 times. And mm -hmm. he said every time he comes to the blank page, he has the exact same feeling he had when he was writing his first book, but he knows the feeling and he knows it goes away. But it takes a long time before he, and he thinks that he'll never be able to write again until he finally gives it to his agent. And then he's like, crap, the agent's going to realize this is the last one and throw it back at me. So it's, it's a constant. It's the beauty. of Yeah. It. I have, you know, when I have those moments and um, now that I've, you know, done what, half a dozen books, um, when I have those moments, I, um, the, the second thought is it, it, it's just time. If I sit here staring at this screen, eventually, it, you know, the, the, uh, I will, something will, I'll see a sentence, I'll restructure the sentence, and that'll lead to the, and it's just a matter of time of just sitting here with your hand on, on, the, on the mouse, moving it around. And yeah, you know, and if you just, if you don't get up from the chair, if you just sit there with enough time, by the end of the day, you will have made some small progress. And, and, and so that the fear is real. I mean, you know, and it's justified too because it's easy to write shit it sure is. and it's easy to sell yourself that it isn't shit yeah. uh and, and so you you know self-deception being what it is uh but if you if enough time you see through yourself and you know whatever and so the cure to it is just not getting out of the chair robert thank you so much for coming on the show Oh, thank you for having me. It was a great chat. Great chat. I enjoyed it a lot. Robert McKee on Drinks with Tony. Check out his new book, Character. Next week on the show, we have Reinhard Danke. He's the co-author of It's a Wonderful Time. Until next, week's my, <laughs> until next week, my creative friends, don't pluralize week <laughs> and have a fantastic weekend. Thanks for listening. You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz.